You know, it's uh, it's eight forty nine on Tuesday, and I think we just finished last week's show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that uh, was that was a humdinger last. I'm week. just I'm just listening to the outro right now. Yeah, and uh, so if you could just give me a few minutes, uh, I'll be done in a minute. It's on taking pictures, number one twenty one. Uh, really, at one twenty one. One twenty one. Jeffrey Sidoris, Bill Wadman. Let, let's let's just dive in. Um, so uh, five years and uh, six minutes ago, my mother took her last breath, and this day is always difficult for me. But it's 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 not as difficult today. Um, part of the reason it's difficult is because I miss her so much, obviously. And growing up, once I got older and we started talking about death, uh, she was very adamant that if there is a way for me to tell you I'm okay, I will. I mean, I heard this over and over and over again. I'll find a way if it's at all possible. And your, mo- your mother was a religious woman? Very. Yeah. Very. Uh, Spiritual. Yeah. And I hate that distinction, but, but she, she didn't, uh, adhere to any one religion. Right. Um, I have a a ton of her books, uh, and yes, there are a lot of Bibles, but there are also, you know, copies of the Bhagavad Gita and, and the Upanishads and the Quran. and, And I mean, she just studied, she just studied, um, and, and, you know, there was this, this reinforcing, you know, and I believed it, that if there's a way, I'll let you know. But what happens is you, you, you start, or at least I did, started looking for signs. Because I, I was expecting, and, and, and to a certain degree still do, expect some sort of concrete whether it's a voice or a vision or a dream that's so real that you can't deny that it was something beyond just a dream. Did you, did you actually believe that or did you want to believe that? I think I started out actually believing it and that became wanting to believe it. Okay. Um, and and I, it left me with two basically two solutions and maybe there are more. And and if, and if you feel there are more right in, um, but my two solutions were she's unable to reach out or respond, or she's unwilling to reach out or respond. And I know she's not unwilling. So I'm left with unable, which, which puts a whole other spin on, on what could happen after. Well, I mean, that also still has a certain level of belief that she is still, alive somewhere if you know what i mean yeah yeah that okay. that that her consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. somehow exists yeah. and 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 you know, maybe that's true maybe it's not who knows i mean that's the great question right maybe maybe consciousness is is akin to a a soap bubble you know and and you can you can touch other consciousnesses but you can't pass through from one to, I, that gets into a whole other realm sure but the point being is is for the better part of the last five years, I've been looking for signs, something to let me know, not only that, that 
she's okay, but what to do? I mean, I, I think I've, I've been pretty clear that, that, that she was North and, and when she died, my compass for a time died with her in terms of what to do, where to go, what to do with myself creatively, emotionally, because she was kind of, you know, my, my guru as it were. Okay. Um, and I, and I think what I've come to realize, and, and this is just the time that she'll prove me wrong. Cause that's, <laughs> that's just what she did, but th- there are no signs, you know, yeah. you, you, you know, like we talked to before the show a little bit, you end up chasing hummingbirds and butterflies looking for some sort of subtlety that goes, Oh, well there, there it is. That's, that's the, you know, the universe has opened this or mom has looked at all of these things, but, but I don't think there are any signs. I think that, that there is, there is doing and there is not doing and, and, uh, relinquishing any sort of decision-making process to the unknown unknown or, or something beyond myself is in some way folly. Well, I don't know that it's folly, but it's, but it's, 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 it's abdicating uh, any sort of responsibility to make any movement. Yeah. And it just, it just, it adds to to uh, the paralysis that many of us already feel surrounding the fear of failure or the fear of success or the fear of trying something new or different or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It yeah. just adds to all of that. Yeah. You have all of that, plus you have the idea that, oh, there is a plan for me. I just don't know what it is yet, and I'm going to wait until it unfolds. Right. Maybe Maybe the plan becomes clear, but only after – you set something in motion. Yeah. Or maybe there is no plan. Maybe there is I mean, no plan. It, I don't know. And, and for, it's, it's interesting because I, I've never had a lot of the beliefs that you hold, you know, and mm-hmm. in my view, I mean, yes, my father's alive in the sense that, you know, there's living memory of him. And, you know, I think about those kinds of things and, and there are times when I think, Oh wow, he was right after all, or, you know, those sort of, the, right. that sort of stuff. But I, 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 I don't believe that he is there watching me in any way. And so for me, in some ways that the, the sort of the, uh, the belief that there is no plan at all, that is actually what has paralyzed me as opposed to me waiting for the plan to start. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's like coming from two different angles on a similar kind of thing. I, you know, I don't know that there isn't some sort of, uh, path or, or Destiny? destiny. Yeah. I don't know. But what I do know is that at least part of <laughs> destiny helps job, those who help themselves. Yeah. At least part <laughs> of the job of finding it is incumbent on me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, over the last several months, I started painting again and the, 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 the joy that I've been getting particularly the last several weeks in working, I've got four pieces in the works right now and having my hands in motion, making something sure is incredibly satisfying. Now, whether this goes anywhere, whether, and I'm not even looking at them that way. Who cares? It's fun. Yeah. I'm not looking at them that way this time around. 
I have. I'm, go ahead. Finish uh, and I think that's one of the differences is when I was when I was painting in 2007 and eight, nine, basically up until the time mom died, it was okay, what are people going to like so I can get this out into this section of the market and somehow figure out how to monetize it and get into galleries and do da 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 And I think maybe it was at least partially dumb luck that I was in gallery shows at all and sold anything at all because I think I was coming at it from slightly the wrong angle. And you know, much in the way I've kind of shifted what I write about or what I, what the the work that I find interesting. um, I've just started to create the things that I kind of want to see. And if people like them, great. And if they don't, well, then at least I get to surround myself with things that I like to see. Yeah. I think there's, I think when it comes down to it, I really think that that might be the only way I say the only way I was going to say the only way to do it, mm-hmm. right? Just make thing, make the kinds of things that you want to see and everything else either happens or doesn't happen. And there's nothing you could do. And yeah, you could sit around chasing a look that somebody else created or trying to find a market for the thing, but that's, that's a different pursuit, right? You know, that's, well, and, and that's, how that's many, you know what it is? That's being an entrepreneur, not just making stuff. Right. And I want to make stuff, right? You know, how, how many of my favorite movies you know, when when you get the chance to to listen to the director, the the, the director will inevitably say, I, you know, basically, I just made the movie I wanted to see, right. or I wrote the book I wanted to sure. read, or I recorded the record I wanted to listen to, yeah. and and those are the ones that often I remember or mm-hmm. that I that I click with. Yeah, you know, you got, you got to put the pressures away. Um, yeah, and and you know, th- this time from from basically. Uh, the end of June, her birthday to now is always difficult. It's always, you know, we would always do things between her birthday and my birthday to celebrate them together. So there, that's that's gone. And and now then today is is kind of the end of it. Today is sort of the the uh, the oh, final ceremony. Yeah, I was, I was trying to think of the end of the Jewish Passover. Is it? Can never yeah, remember which one is which. What, yeah, is that, I understand. Is, is it Yom Kippur? Is yeah, that the end? you know what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's like the end of Lent. <laughs> so, and and one of the, one of the things that's come out of of uh, both her death and the death of my father in November is this idea of memory. Okay, and and the way I remembered my childhood versus the way my childhood is portrayed or captured on film. And they're two wildly different me's for lack of a better word. So you're saying that how, how you remember or how it actually was is different than the photos. Uh, how I remember it is different from the photographs. Better or worse, just different. Um, in some cases, worse. In some cases, uh, just different. I, what I'm what I'm finding is that as, I, as I'm looking through old photographs that I've found, I'm I'm remembering certain events 
Um, but but more than just the event, I'm I'm remembering what a deliriously happy childhood I had, <laughs> and I had rewritten that at some point to to justify my father as the villain. So wait, you're saying that in the reality, as you remember it now is that you actually, your childhood was actually pretty good when you go back and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that Uh, just the revisionism of a 45 year old guy? No, I think, I mean, it's every photograph. I, I, with a very few exceptions, I've got just this stupid, happy grin on my face. Yeah. And I'm starting to remember events based around those photographs. And when you place those in sequence, they build a different picture than I've rewritten. The The revisionist was was that it was all bad or that it was worse than it was. And I know that it changed. My relationship with my father changed at some point. And I don't, I'm still fuzzy on when that changed, probably high school. But up until that point, it was, you know, bliss. Well, I guess the question then becomes, which is the canonical record, your memory or the photographs? Well, the photographs are more accurate. Are they? Are they're 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 a subsample of what happened. They are the moments when somebody decided to pull out a camera and take a picture, aren't they? Yeah, but they were they weren't few they weren't as few and far between those moments of taking pictures as I had originally thought. Okay, fair enough. They they weren't photographs, you know, once or twice a year. There is a stream of of photographs. Okay. So it got me thinking about uh memory okay and and how how we look at memory and how humans aren't really designed to remember things very well no we just we have very selective memories yeah we 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 are really good at remembering the gist of things but we're not so good with details so i started looking um and, and I started reading this book called Smarter Than You Think. And in this book, uh, there is um, there, there's a guy uh, uh, named Deb Roy, um, who's an MIT scientist studying memory. And he and his wife wanted to, to document how children learn to speak. Uh, because inevitably you repeat words and words and words and words and words, mama, daddy, mama, daddy, mama, daddy. And the kid's first word is, you know, milk or, you know, right, right, right. Nikon, whatever. No. <laughs> Fuji. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Coffee. Expo. Expo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they built this system. Uh, he and his, his students at MIT, they built this system called, called total recall. And, <laughs> They sounds like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically they, they wired his house, cameras, microphones, multiple cameras, multiple microphones in every, sorry, I just whacked my mic, uh, in every room of the house. Okay. And it recorded, uh, all the time, basically from, from six in the morning until 10 at night, they would shut it off at 10 at night and it would record 
everything in every room. And they had to go through and analyze all this footage? The, the, the interns and students, oh, I feel uh, so bad for those grad people. students. Yeah. Would, <laughs> would go in and, and do this. Now, um, the, the, the particular in, incident that I'm, that I'm wanting to bring up was when their child first learned to walk a significant moment I'm told in any parent's life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, uh, I, I, let, me, let me just read a little bit. Uh, it's, it's rare to catch this moment on video for any parent, but there's something even more unusual about catching it unintentionally. Unlike most first step videos caught by a camera phone equipped parent, Roy wasn't actively trying to freeze this moment. He didn't get caught up in the strange quintessential modern dilemma that comes from trying to simultaneously experience something delightful while also acting and getting it on tape. Uh, when we brought my son a candle uh, bedecked cupcake on his first birthday, I spent so much time futzing with snapshots. It turns out cheap cameras don't focus well when the lights are turned off that I later realized that I hadn't watched the moment with my own eyes. In the video, you can see that Roy is genuinely lost in the moment, enthralled. But here's the funny thing. The way he remembers it is completely different than how it actually happened. He remembers it. It was a it was a bright sunny morning. His wife was in the kitchen, and he yells, "You know, he's taking his first step. He's taking his first step." Uh, he says, I, "I I originally remembered it being a, a sunny morning. My wife in the kitchen." He says, "When we finally got the video, it was not a sunny morning. It was evening, and it was not my wife in the kitchen. It was my mother." Weird. So we, we idealize, we, we take from fantasy yeah. or movies and we yeah. implant we go, our own of parts. Of course my wife's in the kitchen and she comes running down the hallway to see little junior taking his first step. And she's wearing an apron with yeah. hot cupcakes that just yeah. came out of the, yeah, sure. So it's, so it's interesting to me how these things work. And I've been thinking about it a lot and trying to jot down the way I have experience these things versus the way they are emerging from uh, a memory spurned on by, by photographs. And I, I put this, this YouTube video in the, in the show notes of, of uh, John Hurt. And it's a, it's a campaign that, that Alfred Dunhill did. And there, there's a, there's a great one with Brian Eno. It's an interview with Brian Eno. Uh, There's another one with uh, Don McCaskill, who's a, a great photojournalist. Uh, that one's interesting for a whole other set of reasons. Uh, Don was, was shot at by a sniper and the sniper's bullet lodged in the body of his Nikon camera in front of his face instead of killing him, Yeah, which was kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, the, 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 the John Hurt video begins with John saying, I'd rather have a photo. I'd rather have memories than a photograph. Yeah. You know, it's funny when he was saying that I was watching the video this morning and uh, I always used to have a thing, and this is long before I got into photography. I used to have sort of this concept that if I ever got married, I don't know that I'd want anybody taking – like I'd want a photographer during the ceremony. In fact, I don't think that I would. Almost in the sense that I'd rather remember that moment the way I remember it, sort of like he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, sure, take a picture out on the front steps of the whatever, the courthouse or the church or whatever, you know. 
But the moment that it's actually happening, I don't need to, I don't need perfect record of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's okay if, if I don't, if I can't go rewatch the entire ceremony on H, you know, an HD video. Right. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing though. The idea that, um, even today, like you were saying how, you know, he tried to pull out a camera to take the picture of the kid. I wonder if we're in some middle ground. Jeffrey. Wait, who tried to pull out a camera? The the father when he's the 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 kid walking. You know what I mean? Or, or not not walking the the first birthday or whatever it is. Right, 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 right. I wonder if we're getting to the point where more where where reality is getting so crazy and, and sort of the surveillance nation is getting such that you could have cameras all over your house, and when you wanted to record something, you can go house record this right and then it'll just record it from six different angles and you can enjoy it whatever it is and it'll be recorded and sitting on a server somewhere if you ever want to go back to it or maybe it's recording all the time basically maybe maybe what the system they had set up just to record him to figure out how people are learning stuff will be the norm in the future you know the sort of constant surveillance we call it surveillance now but maybe it'll be you know constant recording systems that you know whatever the thing is right one um, of the but is that was that, that a good thing or not i don't know well one of the problems with that and this guy goes on to interview these people called life loggers that do record everything in their lives like the crazy people with the cameras on their chests all yes. the time yes i okay. don't i don't know how i feel about that well the big problem with it is yes you've recorded gigs and gigs of data but it's not searchable yeah, how do because, you find anything? Because searching, one of, the, one of the things that makes Google such a great search engine is it's relational. Yep. It searches It's about not how just, things are related to each other, yeah. Yes, and if you're only recording your life, there, there, there's nothing to relate it to anything yep. else. There aren't even keywords yeah, for if events. Every, if everybody was doing it and there were NFC chips that knew that you and I are sitting having a conversation on a bench so we can say, show me all the times that Jeffrey and Bill sat on a bench. Right. Or were together. Okay. Do, 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 do. And it could like pull up all those things. And, but is that that far away? Is that more than 10 years out? You know, some I sort know. of, I mean, some sort of, if, if you wanted it, some sort of thing where a computer could do, you know, use GPS and all kinds of stuff to do all kinds of analysis of data maybe. like that. The question is, what is the point of that? I don't know. There Ultimately, a- what are you trying to remember? I mean, even now, look at, okay, look at the pictures you said. Cameras in your childhood were around more than more than twice a year, I think is how you put it. Yep. A few minutes ago. Uh, let's say it was like, you know, once or twice a week a picture got taken, right? Which back then would have been a lot for your average person. Um, now, you know, when when we go see my nephew or even my mother's on a boat right now in Nantucket or something. And like, there've been 12 pictures of her and her new husband on the boat over the last four days, you know, that she's posted. So how many pictures has she taken? Um, and then you sort of get into this thing where it's like, wow, are there so many pictures that the pictures just, it's, it's just, it's too much information and not enough room for romance. Right. I think that's I think that's a, 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 a definite downside. It's one of the problems I have with with and I gosh, I, I don't mean to pick on you guys and I'm sorry, but it's one of the problems I have with wedding photography is that there's too much data being delivered. But, but 
Yeah, but then then there's a lot. I mean, a lot of that kind of event photography is about creating the illusion of the event being more than it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but and somebody's going to beat me up for that comment too. But it still should be selective. It, you know, yeah. But but I, people I people want the thousand pictures. They don't yeah. want just the. You know what? I, I feel like if I did hire somebody to shoot my wedding, I'd say, you know what? Give me the best fifty or a hundred. I trust you. I've got twelve photographs, twelve eight by tens of my parents' wedding. Yep, and it's beautiful. It, it captures all the things that you think it should. It it shows the intimacy of the of the event, but it leaves room <laughs> to wonder about it. You know what it does? It leaves out the flaws. And well, and I'm not probably. I'm not I'm not saying that it's they're polished to the point of that. I just mean it's a small enough selection that that just by evolution of choosing photos or choosing the times you're taking the photos or the photos were such a pain in the ass to take back then or whatever that they just took less of them. And therefore it was a more controlled situation. Right. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, it, do we sound like old men right now? No, no, not at all. I don't think so. I mean, we, look, it, we are again to, to, to reiterate, we are remarkably bad at remembering details. Yeah, but that's okay. It is okay. It is okay because, because the, the gist of things, to get back to what you said a minute ago, the gist of, of things is where the sort of magic and romance takes place. That's where that comes from. You know, if, 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 if yeah, the, the, the perfect reality of the, mo- the first moment you kiss your wife is not the same as your memory of the moment that you kissed your wife. Right. And, right. you know, so if, if Ebbinghaus were wrong and, and, you know, short term memory didn't degrade as quickly as it does, we would be bombarded with this sort of minutia and we wouldn't be able to make sense of it. Do you think that the constant photography, constant recording, uh, I'm overselling it for the sake of bringing up a conversation, reduces, takes away humanity? That it's sort of, it's, it's, it's actually making us less... Um, well, you know, I mean, look, people, people constantly complain about people being on their phones all the time or people taking pictures all the time, you know, it's sort of, you have to know when not to take the picture right. kind of thing. Well, we, um, we are not multitaskers. We're not. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we already have, you know, a limited ability to do things. Well, you know, <laughs> that's why I don't, that's why I don't bring cameras. When I go visit my niece and nephew, a lot of times I don't bring a camera because my sister will yell at me. Uncle Billy, don't you want to take pictures of your beautiful niece and nephew? It's like, I love my niece and nephew, but I don't want to spend my time working, taking pictures of them. I want to spend time with them. Right. You know, like, and, and, and if anything, I love, I love my niece and nephew more in the sense that I don't want to have a camera in front of me to do, you know, when I'm playing. Well, with and, and yeah. And, and, and again, it kind of going, going back to what I've been discovering or rediscovering in this, in this book here in in the early 60s this psychologist um got together a group of of teenage boys i think they were 13 or 14 and asked them about significant aspects of their lives okay right um and then and then tracked them down 30 40 years later and asked them the same questions and what they and completely different answers yeah. Okay. So do you, as, wait, as, hold on. Do you, do you ever have just, I, I want to think it before you give the answer. Yep. Do you have the thing when you were younger where, oh, I guess it happens now too. 
where something will happen that feels like the end of the world. And of course you get over it because it's not the end of the world, whether it's a breakup with somebody or, you know, you got in a car accident that, you know, a fender bender and you've, you know, you know, your dad's going to yell at you or whatever the thing is that you, you kind of think, Oh my God, this is the end. This is the biggest thing, blah, 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 blah. And then later, if somebody asked you, tell me some of those times when you felt like that, you can't come up with any of them. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. It was so important that you felt like you were going to die. And then after the fact, you can't remember why you were so upset. Yeah. It's well, it, again, it's you're rewriting. Uh, they, they call yeah. it reconsolidation. It's, it's a defense. It's a defense process, too. Right. Yeah. So so this guy, uh, let's see, as teenagers, 70 percent said religion was helpful to them in their 40s. 26% recalled that. <laughs> uh, 82% of them said that their parents used corporal punishment. Three decades later, only a third recalled their parents hitting them. Well, who was right? Well, that's, that's the big question, right? Yeah. yeah. But the, the point is, over time, the memories had been revised. They had been reconsolidated. Oh, I'm, and I'm and I'm sure memories of your mother are different than they actually were, right? You know, uh, that I mean that happens. That's creepy, almost. You know, you 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 know I can't you know you can't remember how somebody sounded when they spoke or yeah you know or or certain moments that you're like I think it went like this and you're like oh my god how can I not remember that it was my mother in the kitchen when my kid walked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how, how could yeah. I possibly get that wrong? If I got that wrong, then how can I trust anything? Yeah. And maybe that's why a lot of people do take pictures, right? Yeah. But even then, the, the, the photographs, I mean, using myself as an example, the photographs paint a different picture than, than what I have been living on for, for 40 years. Yeah, they've, they've, they've made you revise your revision. Yeah. Right. Or to play devil's advocate, they, they, they've made you overlook stuff in order to create a picture that you find more satisfying now. But I don't think that's the thing. I, I don't know need you to s- find it satisfying. Okay. Okay. I don't need to be satisfied by yeah. it. I, I don't I'm, know. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just trying to, you know. Yeah. They're just, uh, these things are coming to light. Yeah. And, and. So I guess my question, okay, so what if you didn't have the pictures? Do you think that, do you think that it wouldn't, your view of the whole thing would have remained in your tempestuous youth? Absolutely. Okay. Because there was no reason for it not to. So it really is these photographs that, that, have, that have changed it over the course of the last few months. Uh, over the course of the last few years. Okay. Yeah. 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 And um, now where were all these pictures? Were they with um, you or were they like sitting at your dad's and that's where you kind of found them or were they in A boxes? lot of them were with my dad. Um, yeah. Uh, they were, uh, there's a big, like a, like a steamer trunk type thing. Yeah. That's got uh, tons and tons of photographs and, and you little. digitize and take pictures or scan that stuff. Yeah. Little bits of ephemera and things like that. Yeah. Um, his brother had some that, that he got after he died. Yeah. Um, that my father got from him after he died. Uh, my brother, his brother, that is not after he, um, but you know, some of them, I just, I've put away and I haven't looked at until the last six months or eight months. What were you scared of? 
I don't know that I was scared of, of anything. In fact, I know I wasn't scared of anything. I just didn't see the point in it. Yeah. You know, but I'm, I'm ultimately, I'm, I'm really glad I did, you know? Um, and I've, and some of them I've, I've put up on, on, you know, Twitter or whatever, uh, there, there's one in particular of the three of us, my, my dad, my stepmother and, and me at this table camping. And I'd completely forgotten about that trip and seeing it was a trip to Lake Shasta and seeing that photograph, all of these sort of memories came, came flooding in about, you know, sort of any silly things from, you know, making Hawaiian punch from concentrate in, in the big sink there at the campsite or, or, uh, his, his best friend, Dennis, my dad's best friend, Dennis being in his motor home when, when, you know, he backed his boat into the lake and, you know, all these, just all these little random memories, uh, my grandparents coming up to visit for that trip and bringing, you know, 20 pounds of cherries. Yeah. That I'd never would have remembered. Well, not never, but that those memories were were brought forth by looking at this photograph. It's it's interesting that memories and perhaps even photographs you could argue are kind of like statistics. You can you can find photographs or memories in order to support any viewpoint. Uh maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just it's like, well, I don't well because any- <laughs> here's, here's the thing. No, nothing changed. Do you think that if you looked at those pictures 15 years ago, you would have had the same change? Or would you have said, oh, of course, these are the good moments. And I'm re- but I remember the whatever it is that you were angry about. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I, either. I, I've thought about that, too. But, there, you know, again, there are so many You could have saved yourself many years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have saved myself a lot of money in therapy. Uh, there are so many of them that I hadn't seen. Yeah. It's interesting. Especially from summertime. Yeah. You know, my, my dad, uh, was always taking photographs. Apparently (laughs) that I didn't know that I didn't know about. Um, so yeah, wait, wait, what did your father shoot with? Uh, he had a, a, a Miranda, um, SLR. With uh, he had a fifty, and he had uh, I think an eighty to two hundred, but okay. most of the time the fifty was on it. Can't go wrong with the fifty, man. Yeah, and somewhere I don't know who's still got that camera. I think I think Linda's got it, but it's still it's still I think it was in the safe. So I'm I'm almost positive she still, has it. still ticking. Yeah, think about those old cameras; they tick forever. <laughs> Yeah. And it was one of the ones where, where it had the, uh, just, uh, the, uh, uh, the little meter on the side. And then there was the little circle that you adjusted either aperture or shutter speed to get the circle and, and the, the, the meter to line up. It's like they came up with some, yeah, they came up with some sort of video game like system. Yeah. yeah. And it was just this really simple (laughs) thing. You know, there was, there wasn't shutter priority or aperture priority. It was just, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the thing to line up. It, and then that's it, your photograph. It's kind of cute that uh, I remember things like that when I was a kid. You know, 
using some playing with some even Kodak Instamatic kind of, you know, like those little Kodak cameras or or a Polaroid or my dad's camera where there were certain things about it. It's like I knew how to use it and I knew how to get a picture because you line up the needle with the whatever by turning knobs. But, you know, at the time, I didn't know the why. You know, I knew the what and the how, but I didn't understand the why. And now knowing the why, of course, I can pick up any camera and give me a couple minutes and I'll figure out exactly how it works. You know what I mean? What I need to do to do it. Uh, But it's just interesting how some of that stuff feels so mysterious and and alchemaic. Yeah. uh, At the time. When in reality, it was just, oh, this is the newfangled uh, thing that, uh, that, you know, Minolta came up with for metering or whatever. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That was it. Simple, simple, simple. Yep. Can't, can't go wrong. All those cameras, they all look so similar, don't they? All those old yeah. SLRs. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's like there's it's, one iconic and everything else is just based off of, you know, the Nikon and Canon early ones or whatever. Right. Right. Um, I saw a girl last week shooting with, a, with an R9, which is the Leica. Right. The Leica SLR. <clears throat> Film, and she was she was inside. It was, I think she was shooting 400 speed film and it was pretty dark inside. So I'll be interested to see how the pictures come out. But I was just like, wow, that's an interesting camera to be using <laughs> like an R nine. Really? Uh, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but anyway, uh, whole other thanks, thing. Thanks for letting me just kind of go on about that. You know, no it, problem. It, if there was one, one final thing on memory, uh, kind of apropos and timing, Robin Williams did this flick called the final cut. You ever see this movie? I don't think I did was with, uh, uh, God, what's her, uh, Mira Sorvino and, uh, the guy that played Jesus. Uh, he was also in frequency Jim with Kaz- Dennis Kav- Caviezel. Caviezel, Jim Caviezel. Yeah. He was also in frequency with Dennis Quaid, which is a terrific flick. Uh, that's a good uh, movie. Uh, so it's, it's kind of in the future and, and everybody's got these memory implants and, okay. and Robin Williams plays this guy who can, who can recut uh, your memory, like recut your life story. When you, when you die, he, he recuts it into something more manageable and, you know, takes out all the bad stuff. So it creepy look like you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the final cut is what it was called. Uh, apparently it only made <clears throat> $3.6 million at the box office. Oh, uh, where, where'd you find it? It's just like IMDB or something. Uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia. 30, 37% on rotten, rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I don't, I don't doubt that. It's not a great movie, but it's an interesting movie. It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting concept. Yeah. If you want to watch a better Robin Williams photo themed movie, definitely watch one hour photo. Yeah. Right. Uh, Terrific direction by Mark Romanek. uh, And then Robin's amazing in it. Have you ever had pictures developed at a photo mat or whatever it is of, I don't know, something, something that might be considered risque? No. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I have either, but you know, there's always that thing where like, Oh, we're making a copy for themselves. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am last week, right? It's last Wednesday and I'm at a photo mag getting dirty pictures done by no. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm at, uh, Iridium, which is a jazz club here in New York city. Okay. And my childhood best friend, uh, Matt Garrity, uh, the guy I used to ride big wheels with, right? Uh, w- was playing. He did a thing in December 
somewhat inspired by my 365 portraits or my daily things and by other people who've done that kind of stuff. Uh, where he brought in, he's a, he's a jazz bassist, but he, he's big into like world music and that kind of stuff. So he has all these different instrumentalists from all over the world who play all kinds of crazy instruments. And he brings them into a room and he had a different band every day for 21 days at his apartment. Wow. Uh, you know, he just bring a bunch of people over and, and they'd start improvising and then they filmed it. So huh. it was sort of just totally off the cuff, like, okay, let's start like this in A or whatever it is, you know. How many cameras? <laughs> I think one or two, not many. It was just mm-hmm. a little thing. And he would put them up, like, each day, uh, these little recordings. And you can go see them. I'll, I'll, I think it's uh, mgp21.com, maybe. Yes. Okay. So I'll, did, I'll put this he, link in the show use- notes. Did he use the random URL generator? To get, what is, what is well, it's Matt Garrity project. Ah, okay, good, good. Uh, so he decided. So he had a gig at Iridium, which is one of the big jazz clubs here, uh, famous because uh, Les Paul used to play there every Monday night. Okay, uh, up until he died. And um, <clears throat> he had two two gigs, a you know eight o'clock set and a ten o'clock set or whatever. And he was going to have twenty one different bands on stage, so each tune. He was like, these guys are going away. These guys are coming up. This guy stays. These guys go. You know what I mean? Just switch it up each song. So he asked me to go take some pictures. You know, they were filming like three camera video, but he wanted me to take some stills. So I went and brought brought my camera and and, and was shooting stills. And and I had this weird – I was against the wall at one point where I really couldn't use my right eye to look through the viewfinder because of sort of the awkward way I had to sit there. So I was using my left eye, and I realized something. Now, did I tell you guys about when I went to the to the eye doctor not f- not long ago? Did I tell you about this? I don't so, know. I, okay, maybe. Okay, I don't so know. I, I uh, quick refresher. Uh, I was having a hard time. I th- I noticed myself having a hard time focusing. Like it took longer to focus, that kind of thing, you know. And I was like, you know what? I've never had a problem with my eyes. I probably haven't seen an ophthalmologist in twenty years. I should go to the eye doctor and get my eyes checked out. So I made an appointment for that day on ZocDoc, some guy who supposedly got good reviews and whatever it is. And I go in, and now they don't even do the this one or this one, this one or this one. You know, those the, the, the back and right. forth thing. They don't even do that now. They just like measure your eyes and tells you what your prescription is. Uh, they have like some inferometer that measures whatever. Uh, so he does my eyes, and he looks at me. He goes, yeah. He goes, so your left eye is twenty twenty, and your right eye is twenty twenty five. He says the fact that you even noticed that your right eye was, you know, less good is means you're really observant. And I was like, well, I use my eye all the time, you know. Um, and so I was at this thing and I'm using my left eye and it got me thinking, should, is there a difference between using your left eye or your right eye at the viewfinder, Jeffrey, from the point of view of composition and the way that your eyes connect to your brain? Because your left eye connects to your right brain. And you're right to your left brain. Well, it, yeah. It, it, it you know, really it's sort of like a, on... a painter who's left-handed gets tired, is, hits a wall, switches to their right hand for a while, just as like something, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was sitting with my friend Eli and we were talking about it the other day. And he was saying that he does that sometimes when he's painting. He paints, he paints lefty, but like sometimes he'll just switch to his right every once in a while just to like change it up because it gives him a different perspective. And it just, it made me think of the princess bride, you know, I know something you don't know. 
I'm not left-handed either, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that whole thing where it's like, it, it, I don't know. I just, it got me thinking, maybe I should use my left eye more. So I've been, the past few days, I've been trying to use my left eye instead of my right. And I look through the viewfinder differently. Sure. Well, number one, it's, you're, you're, you're looking through the non-dominant eye. Uh-huh. Which I think might be an advantage rather than a disadvantage. Because somehow uh, it's somehow well, I don't know that you can quantify it as okay. better or worse. Okay. It'll be different. Okay. I will tell you that I, I look at the image through the viewfinder much more as a uh, a complete photograph versus me being uh, uh, obsessed, for lack of a better word, with whatever the exact thing is I'm looking at. When I use my right eye, I find myself using looking at the person's face like cuz I'm you know obsessed with getting the eyes right okay but in that I will not notice that the guy's tie is flipped towards the bottom or right. those kinds of things just cuz I'm so intent on the person that I'm missing really stupid details that I should be noticing right I I I've noticed that I'm noticing more of those things using my left eye than using my right and I'm noticing how things sit within the frame compositionally differently than I do with my right eye. I just, I just found it fascinating that, that after all these years, you know, and, such and a are small there any change. examples of these differences that you've put up? Uh, well, I mean the stuff I've shot yesterday. So these pictures of my friend Lindsay and stuff, I mean, I guess you could say they feel like the other ones cause they do cause they, you know, similar lighting and backgrounds and whatnot. But I will just tell you from like, it was a very different experience shooting and I just thought that was a really interesting thing to discuss. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever had this happen? Um, I've I've tried to shoot with because I I shoot left eye. Aren't you a I've lefty tried, anyway? I am. Okay. Well, for certain things, like um, I golf better right-handed than I do left-handed. Okay. Um, I don't hit as far, but I'm more accurate. Okay. Um, batting uh, can hit both ways. Um, I can write both ways, but not, it's not as fluid with, with my right hand right. As, as my left hand. And there was a thing about the, well, you like your left eye and the X pro, which means your face is behind the camera. Right. I don't like it. It just, that's, that's the, the way, way you it, work. Yeah. And if you my use your right eye, what eye. happens? Um, it's just different. I don't think it's better or worse. It's, it's just different. Yeah. Because what, okay. The other, the other, when I, when I shoot with a DSLR, most people they'll close the eye that's not looking through the viewfinder. Yep. And I don't, I leave my eye open. So I know where I am. Okay. So I'm, I'm yeah. still processing the information outside of the camera with my right eye and still, and looking through the viewfinder with my left eye. Yeah. I don't, I don't close my See, right. I, eye. I can't do that. I, when I'm looking through a viewfinder like that, if I don't close my other eye, I, it's like I lose sense of what the frame is. Mm hmm. Um, I, have a I hard lose time. sense of where I am if I don't, and I end up running into things. <laughs> well, that, that could be lots of different things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, there's that. I just, I don't know. I just think maybe it's a, I don't, I don't know if there's any way to scientifically, I mean, I could shoot the same subject with two different eyes and throw them in some, you know, put that, put all the pictures in front of somebody who's not involved in it and see if they see a difference. Right. Um, I guess, but I guess there's, the, there's also a certain level of, um, maybe it's a way to, if 
while shooting, you're feeling stuck. Your brain does interpret your two eyes differently. You know? Yes. And I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe it's an interesting technique to try, I guess is sort of why I'm bringing it up. I, I've been playing with it the past few days and I want, I want to try it more. I have a, I have a, a corporate thing to shoot this afternoon that I'm going to, I'm going to play with a little bit. I just, it's just a different way of looking at it that I hadn't really thought about. And I just, I wonder if because it's going straight into your right brain, if that somehow isn't a different way. I mean, they always talk about people, you know, left-handed people are X percentage of the population. What is it like 10% or 12% or something? Um, but a much higher percentage of artists and writers and, you know, I mean, there's all those sort of weird statistics that I don't know if they're true or not. Right. Um, cause, cause we're all creative and whatnot. Well, that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I maybe, don't know. maybe there's something to the fact that, you know, if you're writing with your left hand, it's connected to your right brain and that has some sort of, artistic advantage i, I don't know um yeah, i i, mm, you, think, I you think it's a bunch of fud I, I don't know that it's fud but uh, i know a lot of right-handed people that are really creative and really talented and, yeah and, and, oh, and I, in, in many many different ways i just yeah. i just think that it's a it's i don't know something to play with something to think about and i people out there if you have any thoughts on this matter i'd like to hear them because i i don't know where i come down but i'm also sort of fascinated by the idea that I could have been doing it wrong all this time, right, you know, like right. that there's, there's some weird switch that could happen. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to talk about this Paul Bunyard email? Yes. Yes. Last week, one of the questions was surrounding, uh, uh, what is the role of the audience in art? I do believe it was the first question. Yeah. Um, and our answer was none. No, the, I, no, <laughs> that's your answer. Oh, right. The, the, the audience is plain and simple what makes art art yeah period uh and and one of the things that that paul says in this in this email uh, he says i go back to what my dad said craft is the doing art is the feeling for the artist whether sculptor painter writer photographer etc the feeling the emotion is an important part of the process of creating that's why we create we and you feel can't, the need and you can't have that without the audience just just, just settle okay, down well, I was trying to. Okay, Just, go ahead. All right. So the, the feeling, he says, also comes from the audience. And if I may be so bold, the audience f uh, is from where the creation becomes art. The audience or an audience is ultimately the most important part of determining if something is art or not. Without an emotive response from someone, anyone, whatever is created is not art, which I completely agree with. Yep. You don't get to call yourself an artist. You don't get to call yourself what it call what you make art. That is part of a collective shared experience by the people that view your work. I guess so, but that also gives a lot of power to <laughs> you know, the unwashed masses out there. Well, you know, how, it's, how many people it's, it's how many people popularity. made what we consider art now which at the time was considered perverse or whatever it is. And then 50 years later, it's art. And so was it not art when the person created it? Not to that audience. Yeah. Okay. All right. I guess, you know, this all comes down to, you get to the point where then, okay, well let's really define what we mean by art. And then you can define the art to stick with a number of different arguments about it. 
Yes. Uh, One of the examples that he uses in the email is take, he says, take Vincent van Gogh and his paintings, for example. Uh, During his lifetime, there was no audience for his work, but he was compelled to continue painting. Okay. And much of the world is uh, today is glad that he did. There aren't too many folks around the world today that don't get some sort of emotive response from Vincent's work. So to your question, was it art then or was it is it only art now? I think that's a valid question. And there are probably people that would argue both sides of it. Yeah. For, for me. <laughs> oh my God, that was. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Finish. No, go ahead. What? There, there's, um, there's a really great, well, arguably really great episode of Dr. Who about Vincent van Gogh, like where they mm-hmm. meet Vincent van Gogh and they bring him to the future and they, like they show they show him a show at the Musée d'Orsay and they go talk to the curator who's Bill Nye. Right. And they say, and, and the doctor's just like, you know, tell me like, what does Vincent van Gogh mean to you? And he, and he goes to me. <laughs> so it's, it's, it just reminded me of that. Anyway, you're talking yeah. about Vincent van Gogh and you're Bill to Nye. Me, go okay. ahead. <laughs> I, I, if only. Yeah, I, I know. Bill He's Nye. so cool. He's the coolest. Yeah. I love Bill Nye. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this gets us back to, to this thing uh, 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 about what is the nature of art. And, and that's, a, that's a big, gigantic question with, with multiple parts. That's a ball of worms um, right there. Yeah. I, I tend to side with, with Paul in that art is what comes from the collective emotional response from an audience, even if it's an audience of one. But okay. it is based on an audience. You don't get to decide this is art. If you so, you are it. not an audience of your own work. You are, but you don't. I don't think you get to decide whether it's art. I, I think that that's all fine, but I also think it's all semantics. Yeah, but how many people, you know, use "I'm an artist" to justify sure, some sort of wacky behavior yeah. or wacky work? Like the it's performance art. artist guy having sex with thirty guys or hundred guys, three hundred sixty-five guys in the next year. Did you hear that? No, <laughs> some some uh, uh, performance artist has decided. I mean, he's a gay man, but he he's decided that he's going to have sex with 365 people in this case, men uh, over the next year, one a day as a performance arts piece. Right. And it's like, OK, is that art or is that just that's just I don't know. That's, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe to somebody it would be. That's the I, thing. There's like this weird line. I don't know. Audience. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say. Uh, he, he ends uh, with a really fantastic sentence, and this was kind of the point of it. Uh, please keep up the good work, for there are many of us out here listening, not because we are photographers, but because we are creators. And not, I just, I, Paul, yeah. fantastic. I love that. Not because they're easy, but because they are but hard. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. We choose to go, yeah. Mm. Uh, so... <clears throat> Yeah, big ball of, of, of worms on, on <laughs> art. Uh, but I kind of like that big ball of worms. It is, it is interesting. You know, it's, it's I don't know. For, for me, it's always been the difference of, you know, I want to be an actor versus I want to be a movie star. I want to be a musician versus I want to be a rock star. Yeah. I want to be a painter versus I want to be an artist. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd like to be successful doing what I do, but I really just kind of like doing what I do. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, sort of the, at the beginning of the show, when you're talking about how you're sort of revisiting your childhood and whatever through the photos, um, lately I've actually enjoyed taking pictures again, which for a while I was kind of getting tired of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a nice little refresher course. Yeah. As it were. 
Hey, uh, we have a new sponsor today. So I'm told. Okay. And I, I you know, I've, I, I've got I'm, it here and one's apparently headed to you. Okay. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to have to let you take yours because I haven't seen this thing. Okay. Yet. Okay. I, you know, we got, we got to read it. I've got this really cool book. It's an awesome book. Uh, it's a book about Apple. This is why I thought you'd like it. Go on. <laughs> In 2009, Jonathan Zufi uh, created his amazing project. He decided to collect and photograph every Apple product ever made. Every Apple product ever made. And he ended up with 150,000 photos. He took all of these photos, condensed them into a coffee, stunning coffee table book. It's called Iconic, a photographic tribute to Apple innovation. Interesting. Right? And does he go back all the way to like, oh, the first oh, circuit boards and whatnot? He goes back to prototypes of the Apple, of the, of the Mac. And yeah, there's all kinds of crazy cool stuff in it. Huh. Uh, and look, if there's a perfect gift for the Apple fan of the world, this is it. 350 beautifully designed pages, hundreds of fantastic photos, basically every product Apple has ever made. And I mean mm-hmm. every desktop, laptop, iDevice, printer, uh, Why don't I have this thing in my hands? Even old right gaming now? devices, it's all in here, and I guarantee you'll see some products you didn't even know Apple made. There's an amazing chapter about prototypes, which is my personal favorite, uh, and there's even a chapter on packaging, all the boxes that came with all the technology. Uh, and he's got like all of these old, even like old Apple II boxes that have, all, you know, like a little water has got on them and stuff like that. Yeah. Like they're not all pristine. It's sort of you know the Apple II box from your uh, garage, you know, uh, that, that he found, right? And I got to tell you, the prototype pages uh, are are like the, oh, I just bumped my mic. Are the coolest things? And then he goes he goes real close in macro on like all the old uh, all the old floppy drives and uh, yeah, crazy stuff. You know the click wheel, wow. all the whole thing. Uh, it's called iconic. It's really cool. It includes a forward by uh, Steve Wozniak. Hundreds of amazing quotes from other Apple pundits. It's really something. Visit iconicbook.com. To learn more and check out the cool editions of the book that are available, the editions range from seventy-five to three hundred dollars. Wow! But uh, there's a special five by five discount. It's available only to listeners of five by five. Twenty percent off wow. the classic or classic plus edition of Iconic. And the only way you can get that special twenty percent off is if you visit iconicbook.com/slash five by five. So if if you or someone you love, uh, someone you love loves Apple. Uh, go get one of these beautiful books right now. That's iconicbook.com slash five by five. Look at that. Thank oh, you to Jonathan and Ridgewood Publishing for supporting five by five and not taking pictures. You why like that? Why don't I have this? Why? Yeah, no, it's good. We're getting you one. Uh, Pretty cool, right? The horror. I told you you'd like the new sponsor oh, and you totally do. Oh, look at that. <laughs> what, what are you looking at specifically? I'm just flipping through. I'm just flipping through. Yeah, there's some cool stuff in here. I saw um, uh, uh, somebody took a uh, one of the old uh, um, classics and hollowed it out and made an iPad case out of it. So I have can, seen you, that as well. Where you yeah. slide the iPad in, yeah. oh, that's cool. And then hook up a USB keyboard, boom, done. Yeah, there's some there's some uh, there's some really cool stuff in this book. And, oh, uh, like a, there's a video too here on the on the video to watch little little promo video. Cool. Uh, all right, we well, have created yeah, the ultimate yeah, book, yeah, yeah. the perfect book. Yeah, yeah. it's Chamfered uh, cardboard edges. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like that. Yeah, uh, I, th- I thought you'd get a kick out of it. And I mean, a lot of the people who listen to this show are 
big Apple nerds who, you know, like to, like to, like to look at this stuff and like, I'm, I'm not going to judge yeah. what people do with this book. Uh, but, I love uh, it. It's pretty cool. So iconicbook.com slash five by five. I can we pause to the show? Sure. Can I go check my mailbox? <laughs> uh. Uh, so yeah. So uh, check it out. Stupid and uh, postal service. Yeah, and and we will uh, we'll be talking about it some more in the next few weeks. So you'll you'll get your fill. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's that. Hey, uh, um, <laughs> where where did we? Why did we start talking about the boot theory? Oh, because it was it was because of that tablet. It was because of the tablet. Okay, so somebody, do you remember who it was who put up the thing? Was it Jason it was or one the, of those guys? It was in the group. Somebody put up something in the group okay. about uh, the monoprice graphics tablets uh, as an alternative to the Wacom tablets. Right now, Wacom the, tablets are are pretty spendy if you get the Intuos lines. Right, and and and. <clears throat> Actually, now it's the Intuos Pro line because all the old bamboos are now the Intuos original. Right, right, right. Which is really Intuos and Intuos Pro. That's a jerk move. It's marketing shenanigans. But whatever. But they are. But they are the classic in the same way that Pocket Wizards are the classic, uh, you know, wireless flash things. Right. Sort of like that's if if you're gonna buy one, just buy that one because that's the one that everyone uses and that's the one that works. It's sort of, there's sort of that kind of thing about it, right? Right, 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 right. Um, and so there's this this guy, uh, Frendon. Uh, what's his What's his name? John Frendon, something like that, right? What's his first name? Uh, I can never remember. Uh, is is an illustrator and wrote a wrote a thing on his blog about this little monoprice tablet that you can get for like eighty dollars, I think. Uh, less less than fifty for the six and a half or six and a quarter by ten. And eighty for the nine by twelve. Yeah. And the people, whoever Monoprice gets these from, the OEM they get these from, uh, there are similar ones that use the same digitizer, same tech uh, as this one, including one now that doesn't have a battery in the in the stylus, which is one of the nice things about Wacom, in my opinion, that you don't have to worry about the batteries dying and that kind of stuff. Uh, or at least I, I agree the, with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I some would people like, like the weight, right? Yeah, I was just going to say I'd like to have a battery in it just for the weight. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but so there was this conversation going on of why should you spend four hundred dollars on a tablet when you could spend sixty bucks or whatever it is, right? Um, and you and I got talking about it, and I, I actually, I mean, I have an old uh, Intuos three, which is now pff, six years old. Yeah. Uh, and it's still working. It's still fine. The cable's getting a little curly because every time I stand it up and pull it down, it ends up kind of twisting another half turn, and then I untwist it. You know, right? Um, but but it's still it's still chugging along, and it does everything I need to do because I don't use any of the buttons on the side. I just use the surface, and it's the right size and the right dimensions and blah 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 for me. Yeah. Um, and but when it does die. There's a question of, you know, what I get to replace what it. What do you get? Right. Yeah. And so I, I mean, was looking I, I was looking at the reviews because this guy was speaking so highly of apparently he loves the, this monoprice. He thinks the digitizer in it's fantastic and yeah. it's super accurate and even yeah. he says it's better than the Wacom's that he's used. Um so I'm intrigued. In fact, if you know, if I had a hundred bucks just burning a hole in my pocket, I'd buy one just to play with it, you know? Right. Um and but then I went and I was looking at reviews of these things on Amazon and there were a few four and five star reviews. And then there were a few that said worked great for three months and then died. 
And now I have no recourse because the company's in Shenzhen and I don't know how to get a hold of them and they don't answer emails or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, So, and this got you and me talking about whether or not it's worth just to buy the more expensive thing that you pretty much know is going to be around for a long time rather than the less expensive thing that is, you know, somebody else says is just as good, but doesn't have the track record maybe. Right. Is that kind of the way, is that a good way of putting it? Yeah. I mean, Look, one of the things about the, the, the Wacom products specifically, at least my experience with them, I've got a, 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 an Intuos GD, which okay. is old. I've had it since uh, 2000. And then I've also got uh, an Intuos so you, 5. So it was a retirement gift of some kind? <laughs> That's right. I, I didn't get a watch. I got a drawing tab. What was it? Was, uh, GD? Yeah. Okay. Um, I yeah, in and then yeah, you were given oh oh so the old like oh that oh that's an old one, with the uh, what's it called, uh with the like uh, the beige ones yeah the beige yep, ones yep, with yep. with the the puck the mouse and and the stylus right 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 right, right. okay it still works beautifully right. it's been dropped it's I mean it's been dropped many many times both onto carpet and onto hardwood um it's it's never skipped a beat. Um, you know, so there's something to, to be said right. 14, 15 years on, it's still chugging still. Yeah. And it still looks terrific. Yep. You know, it still performs terrific. Uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the stylus is still just fine. I think I've, I've, and the drivers still work for this old one. Yeah. They've got uh, like a unified, uh, driver that works just fine. Right. Um, so it, yeah, it got us talking about uh, this thing called the boot theory, which I learned from my friend Mark, who was uh, – <laughs> it was kind of funny. On the same day, my friend Mark was going to buy some new work boots. Okay. And uh, he buys uh, these Red Wing uh, boots that are like, I don't know, $400 a pair or whatever, yep. $350, $400 a pair. And uh, – and we got to talking about it and he's like, have you, have, have you, you know, I said, wow, it's a lot of money for boots. He's like, yeah, but, and he started telling me about this thing called the boot theory of economics where, where, you know, if, if someone has the money, they will buy the more expensive boot. Uh, and if they don't, they'll buy, you know, the $50 boot, but have to replace it seven times, right. you know, have to replace them seven times where, whereas the person that bought the $500 boots or whatever doesn't. And so that got you and I talking about, about, you know, quality versus, versus dollar amount. And you can't always go with the most expensive thing because the most expensive thing is not always the best quality. Right. Uh, Bang and Olsen stereos are not great stereos. Right. But they sure but do they look are, cool. <laughs> they, they look really cool mm-hmm. and, and they're really expensive. Right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> So that kind of got us uh, on that on that kind of. But there is, I mean, there is a certain assumption there, though, that the person has enough money. If the person doesn't have the money to buy the Red Wing boots, then there really is no option there. The question is whether the person who has the money to buy the Red Wing boots makes the decision to do it. You know, if you need boots and you only got a hundred bucks, you're not going to buy the Red Wings because you don't have the money to buy the Red Wings. Even if you know they're better and they'll last longer, there are times when you don't have the option to do that. Right. 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 Um, and there's also the question of, you know, uh, uh, Jason Zolan, friend of the show, uh, this is his first tablet. Maybe he right. doesn't like a tablet. 
Maybe it doesn't, you know what I mean? Some, for some people, it doesn't speak to them. So yes. is it better to buy $60? He can use it. If it breaks in three months or a year, big deal. Yeah. Then and maybe you can a buy a Wacom. A or maybe you can, yeah, maybe you could buy three of these instead of, you know, yeah. one Wacom. I mean, I, look, I tend to agree with it. I, I agree with the boot theory when it comes to something you know you're going to need and you know you're going to have for a long time. You sure. Know? I feel that way about my lenses. All of my lenses that I use most of the time, they're all the fancy L primes, not just because they're fast uh, aperture wise, but also just because they're built really well. Right. And I know that they're not going to break if I, you know, uh, don't handle them exactly right. You know, they're made of metal and they don't, you know, they don't crack or anything like that. Um, I have, I have very fancy, uh, B and W Nautilus speakers that I've bought in 1999. I think Mm -hmm. here they are 15 years old. And they're still great. Did they cost $3,800? Yeah. But they've lasted me for 15 years and probably will for 10, 15 more, you know? So there's, there's definitely, uh, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Uh, but you start playing those games in your head where you're just like, Oh, do I really need it? You know, do, you know? Yeah. I never do that. I think for things, that, <laughs> I think for things that you're going to have around for a long time, you know, buy one that's good. I mean, like, I know you didn't like that Kensington trackball I told you to try to get, but like I've had mine pff, 10 years. This expert uh, the, mouse? The, peop- the people that I know that use them, uh, my friend Steve uses one. Actually, Mark uses one that he's had for, I don't know, eight, nine years. Yeah, still works fine. I've, Work, it's yeah, like it works, works, works great. Don't, yeah. you know, I like the idea of having certain things that just sort of do their job. Right. You know, and, right. and don't, they, don't, they don't complain. You know, my, my Pelican case that I carry my thing in, I'm not worried about my Pelican case breaking. Right. You know, I could throw it off a truck. It'll be fine. Uh, and there's something nice about that whole angle. Hey, hey, here, just can I just say something yeah. really random? Yeah. I just got a a notification that Tay Diggs is now following me on Twitter. Really? <laughs> is that weird? I think I think that that's kind of cool. Is it that, is. Does that make you cool? I don't know. Did, did do I have cred now? Wait, how is, many people does Tay Diggs follow? I I don't know. Uh, is it wait? Is it the reals Tay Diggs? Like no, it's no, a, it's it's like certified. It's got the little check mark and everything. Uh, well, well, see, he, he follows 116,000 people. So well, Mickey Dolenz follows me. So, you know, uh, Mickey Dolenz is very good friends with my friend Jude, who, uh, I have to say hello, Jude. And, and I'm so proud of him. Uh, he's a writer, producer, director, uh, actor. He just shot, uh, this movie with James Caan. He just did, uh, uh, uh a cool. few scenes. Yeah. With, with James Caan. And he was so excited cause he's, he's like the biggest Godfather fan. Jimmy Caan. Yeah. Yeah. He was so excited. He's, he's enormous Godfather fan. So to, <laughs> you know, to, to, to do a scene with, with Sonny was, you know, amazing for him. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, so we're gonna put some links in the show notes about this boot theory stuff. Cause you, you had a, you had an, uh, a, an article here that you wanted to yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because people that what ends up happening is, is you think you can't afford something. So you buy the lesser thing, but over the course of time, you yeah. actually spend more replacing that yeah. thing that you could have just, you know. Yeah. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm also going to put in the show notes, a link to the, not the monoprice one, but the one, the, the there's one that's made by the same people as the monoprice one that some people say is actually a little nicer designed and better in the newer version. 
Uh, I'll put a link to it on Amazon. So if you're looking to try a tablet out, but you don't want to spend $400 and you want to spend 80 bucks or 60 bucks or whatever it is, right. You know, get it and try it out. And you Wait, know, is that the, the, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Nova or something, something like that. Yeah. It's some Chinese name. And I, 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 I remember I was looking at, um, I was looking at them last week and now I have to, they even have their version of a Cintiq, which is kind of interesting. Well, that's what – there's another review that he gives of of that uh, – yeah, where, where he, he likes that one too. I, I've never found those because the parallax is always a little weird right. for me. Well, anytime um, you're – it's – you know, you're drawing on I glass. Don't, I don't draw that way. It's a – yeah, uh, Huion, uh, H-U-I-O-N. Okay, yeah, put the Yon. link in. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um it's uh, it's uh, it's supposed to be pretty. It gets it gets four and a half stars. In the oh, reviews. is it the, the is this the H six ten? Uh, yes. It looks okay, pretty. Yeah. It looks it oh, looks the, like a Wacom. Yeah, it does. It looks nice. So anyway, we'll put a link in the show notes. So if you want to try a wow, tablet, seventy six bucks. Yeah, and some people really uh swear by um. Okay, this has so. got okay. Here's the, the thing. If you're if you are getting a tablet, the, here's the things that you want to look at: the pressure sensitivity. Yep. And uh, the report rate. So how many times is it reporting back what you're writing? Yeah. Or drawing. Yeah, it's supposed to be this one's supposed to be really good. Interesting. Anyway, so something to check out. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. let's see what else we got. Um <laughs> back in the day, show six, we talked about that 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 picture of the, the Please monkey. Don't make me we're not talking about this. Just for this half a the, second. Oh my god, this is the dumbest thing. <laughs> what okay, here's the question though. D- there is no question. The, the the monkey owns the picture. No, the monkey does not own the picture. The monkey technically owns the picture. No, the monkey technically does not own the picture. So does if David a, David Slater a, be able should he be able to tell them to take it down? Yes. Yes. Monkeys don't have rights to contractual negotiation. Yeah, no. you know what? That's a good qu- Oh, that's a good question. Dude. So now I can just use that photo willy-nilly and unless the monkey sues me, I'm okay? Come on, that's Well, dumb. that's that's what I was going to say. If a coconut happened to fall on the camera and snap the shutter, would the photo belong to the coconut? No. 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 Are you likening a coconut to a monkey? Does, does the guy that, 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 that does, does Crudson's DP who actually presses the button, does he own the rights to Crudson's photos? No. This is actually, a, I think probably he does, but no, contractually he, he gives up those he rights. Is to a, this is a ridiculous. This is ridiculous that it even. This is linky clicky baity. I think it's a fascinating weirdness. legal question. It's dumb. See, I think it's pretty funky. Really? Okay. Well, get the monkey in a suit and tie. Bring him into the room and let's talk to him. All right, let's we're gonna. Talk to him. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes though. <laughs> uh, what did you find out about? Oh, this was interesting. I put this link in a couple weeks ago because it was like. Back in the day, or did you put it in? Because I was reading. I didn't it. put this in. Okay, it, I put this it is in. another thing. It's like it's expensive to make photo books. Case closed. Well, yeah, I mean, but but it's what I guess the reason I wanted to bring this up is that there's there's talk in here in this PDN article about the fact that it costs a lot of money to make photo books. Talking about people who do Kickstarter campaigns to raise enough money so that a publisher will publish their book. Right. So I'm going to raise the money so that. I'm going to raise the $25,000 it's going to cost to make this book. And then I'm just going to give it to a publisher so that I get my 8% back or whatever it is. Yeah, if it's, even that. Yeah. So I just feel you like know, I wonder. You'll like, get a couple bucks a copy. Yeah. So if you're doing the, the point of the publisher is that they put up the money. Right. So if you're both putting up the money and doing. 
why is the publisher getting any money at all for distribution? Yeah, it's silly. This is it. That's in, that's crazy stuff right there. Yeah, like somebody saying, "I want to be published by some by powerhouse so bad that I'm going to give them the money yeah, it's going to no. take for them to publish me." It's like plus, well, plus then they're they, not publishing you, also, you. You also have to give the the pledge gifts. You got to figure out what those are. Yeah, to get people to. You know, I mean, like, do, look, do, doing a Kickstarter to to do a book I, that I understand. If you're going to be doing the book yourself, right? You know, if you're going to some publisher, yeah. to, to a, a not a not a not a publisher like like you know, you go to some Korean printing place, get them printed right. up. To, 10,000 of them or 5,000 right. of them as right. a vanity project, or maybe you're going to break even on it. But Send the, them to Amazon, sell them through Amazon, yeah, fine. The idea, or, or use Amazon's fulfillment. The idea that these people are, are giving money to the publishers, this yeah. is insane. Yeah. Like the publishers it's, must be sitting there going, this is amazing. Like it's, they're it's doing like all our the, work uh, for us. Yeah. It's like the pay to play uh, uh, bands in, in, you know, in the 80s and 90s where you've got to come up with the money. Yeah. To, to, to play some certain venue and then you got to go out and hustle and sell tickets. It's unbelievable that this yeah. is that people want that thing on their resume or CV so badly that they're willing to be an idiot to do it. I don't know. I, I, unless somebody has a better thing. That's crazy to me. Uh, let's see. What it's else? Kooky. What else do we have? We got um, uh, all this stuff about, uh, you know, the, the police officers yelling at you about taking pictures, but you actually do have the right to take their pictures. This is all going on with this Ferguson stuff and everything too. Um, well, apparently, apparently the folks in Ferguson didn't get the memo. Yeah. They, Cause they're like knocking over. Yeah. Stuff. They're, yeah. they're doing all kinds of it. Yeah. It, you know, I tweeted something the other day is that if you haven't watched and maybe we can put this in the show notes, uh, John Oliver's kind of scathing commentary. About yeah. Ferguson. That was a good one. Why is it that the fake news shows are the only ones doing any real reporting? Uh, that is a good, good question. Yeah. Why, like John Oliver does a good job on that stuff. That was a terrific show, and and his show is very very good. So why is it that shows like John Oliver and The Daily Show and even Colbert to a certain extent are providing this this tongue in cheek commentary that's actually more relevant than what you're getting from mainstream <sighs> sources? That is uh, that is a good question. Yeah. Um, next news item. Uh, there's a Gawker article. The guy wrote a thing called "The Problem of Humans." Uh, the problem with humans of New York. And he kind of brings up what you were saying the other day of like, well, first of all, why does everything have to have a story? You know, like why does everything, although you're the big story guy, which is interesting, but, but these, said these that last week, no, I said, you're, you're not, saying one sentence is not a story. No, what I'm saying is, is why can't there just be a good picture? Why uh, yeah, does every sure. picture have a story? This, this, I, I think this is, is different. And I don't agree with this article at all. I okay. think the guy that wrote the article he says that that humans of New York is clickbait, linkbait, but this article is clickbait, linkbait, sure. particularly because it's on Gawker. Well, they're they're both clickbait, linkbait. Uh, I don't agree at all. I okay. think that that what 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 humans of New York is doing, I don't think it's stereotypical. Uh, I don't think it's it's reducing people to sound bites. Yes, there is some curation going on there, but that's his job. That's that's there. There has to be some editorializing of the content. Here. Sure. Yeah. I. I mean, look. I. I've never particularly liked it. It feels trite to me. But that's you know, you and I can differ on our opinions of stuff. Um, I. I. I think that it's. Um, <laughs> there's one funny line. The site it seems to be is disappearing up Stanton's own navel. More and more posts depict the humans in New York telling Stanton that quote. I knew you'd stop me one day, or I'd always been terrified of running into you and having absolutely nothing to say. 
Um, or I was just talking yesterday about the inspirational thing I was going to say to you. Uh, I don't know. I think it's I. I think it's interesting that there's an, an, another viewpoint of it, and I guess it says something that it's popular enough that people can have a problem with it. So that I guess that says something. Well, there's yeah, some if, level of if you're, there. I mean, th- look, I think the, the guy that, that that's writing this strikes me a as very cynical about the whole thing. Yes, true. Um, you know what what the Humans of New York project is doing, particularly in countries like Iraq or Congo. Yes, well, th- uh, I think those are in different places where. People of yes, and th- and those kinds of things I have less of a problem with. Um, so you have a problem with it because they're white people in New York, or you have a, you have more of a problem with it because they're white. He's talking to white people in New York. I I, th- I, th- I think that stuff like this is good in small doses, and it works. But at a certain point, when you know you can ask anybody, and anybody's got problems and issues and whatever it is, and that's all true. But it's always been true. It's not like this guy's shining light on it. You know, uh, I, I feel like he's getting credit for something that I see as fairly obvious, you know, which is that everyone's got a story and that there's, you know, everyone's got some kernel of wisdom or some way they think about stuff or some issue they're working through. And but some maybe we've lost thing. that. Maybe it's, it's yep. why shows like, like story and the moth and, and even radio lab, it's why they, they, they strike such a deep chord with people. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess my thing is that uh, I mean first it's I find it ironic that anybody on Gawker criticizes anybody else for link bait. True. I I don't know. I guess you know what? Let's see let's see what everybody else thinks. Yeah. Uh, I, I I mean I've read the book and uh or I haven't actually I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've I've read much of the book. Um I don't think there's a problem with people being able to have a, a little bit of recognition and, and validation for being human and being on this planet and being here and existing. What's wrong with that? Wrong Why is with, that such a bad thing? It's, I don't think that he's saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm saying, I, I think that in what he's saying and what I'm saying is that like this guy acts like he invented this and discovered some unknown thing about humanity, which is a bunch of bull. I, I don't think he's acting like that at all. I think he did it. He's just doing it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, you I, thought about it. Sure, I, you've thought about it lots of times, but you didn't do anything. No, about I it. guess I I never thought about it because I don't think that that is something that I don't know. I it does it's never interested me. So I always kind of just like I don't understand the hype, and I've never understood the hype about it. But that's you know that's fine. There's lots of things I don't understand the hype about. Sure. Um. Uh. I don't know. It's just it's interesting. I, uh, I think the humans, pro- I think it's a pretty wonderful project and, and uh, I think what he's doing ultimately is important. And, and, and yes, there is, a, uh, there is a particular viewpoint or a particular agenda, but who doesn't have a particular viewpoint or agenda? There has to be some sort of editorializing of it. There has to be some sort of contextualizing of it. I guess so. And, I, I also feel like, you know, that... It, Nah, whatever. We don't have to have a big long discussion about it. Why? It's uh, interesting. It, it's it, it's interesting. I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like, okay, what is he doing? He's taking a, it's like, all right, stand there, take this picture. All right, talk to me for five minutes. All right, I'm going to pull out a sentence of something you said. I'm going to put that in the, in the picture on the web and everyone's going to feel like they can identify with this person and what they said. And it's like, okay, sure, I guess. But like, okay, and now what? 
I don't. It's just. It just feels like. Um, but how is that any different than than what you're doing in the corner? You know, it's like okay. I, I guess so. You're I don't not know. The first I just it, to put people. It feels in the like what exactly what is he doing? Because he's not writing the words, and the pictures are snapshots at best. So what is exactly that he's doing? That he's adding? What's the what's his value? Editing, choosing the people, choosing the one sentence out of what they said that was interesting. That's 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 his that's his job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I feel I give credit to all the people he's talking to, but I don't give credit to him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it just, I, I, it just goes, so, it just goes so right a, over my a, head. A documentary filmmaker has no value because it's not their life that they're talking about. All they're doing I, is I turning think that a camera their editing is very different. And, and I don't know. I just think, I think there's a difference in there somehow. I'm not all document. There's a lot of crappy documentary stuff out there too. You know, I mean, look at somebody like, uh, um, uh, you ever, you ever see the sartorialist? Yes. That's all the fashion stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't get that either. But then again, I don't get fashion. See there, there but is, you know, is Scott Schulman a photographer? Uh, a I've, of, I, you know, think he is. I've had that discussion with, uh, with, uh, Randy Duchesne before. Yeah. I don't know where I come out on that. I mean, he's, he's making his living and Bill Cunningham is too, right? Yeah. Right. So d- does it does it have to be? I guess I guess my problem with that stuff is that I have a certain level of contempt for the entire fashion industry. So like for me, I'm just like, like you're giving these people time of day. Like who cares whether it's cooler to wear your skirt one inch shorter this year? Like who cares? Right. No one's going to care in fifty years or hundred years or fifteen minutes. Like you guys are putting spending so much time and energy on stuff that doesn't matter at all. That that is by definition transient and gone when you look back at it. Yet there are those who would say that fashion is the most accurate representation of human culture. Yeah, or the most accurate reflection of human. And culture. there's people who would say the same thing about porn. So you know, it's like I don't know. I just it's like I I those are those things that I just it's like I don't they they it bothers me somehow and I don't know why. I mean I guess there's analysis to be done there too, but. I don't know. It's interesting. I don't, let's see what people think. I, I, I honestly want to know what people think. Podcast okay. and on taking pictures.com. Send All us right. an email. Uh, you put up this thing, tin type wedding photos. Yeah. Who sent this? Was this Bailward? I don't know. I didn't I think, I think it was, Bailward I think it was Alan. I think it was a tweet. Oh, okay. Let me see. Let me see. It's, Cause, uh, mm. <laughs> That that was a good sound you just made. I love. I can't remember who it was. Man, that is some serious. Uh, uh, you know, that's a lot of work. You know, I. I yeah, it was Bailward. Okay, so yeah, hundred pounds worth of worth of camera. This this uh, twenty by twenty four. Sure. View camera. So the next time you, you know, bitch about lugging your five D Mark three around yep. with its. 50 millimeter prime that's weighing you down. Uh, think about this guy. I'll tell you, I, I've been reading that book and I, I put up a post uh, on my blog yesterday. I was, I'm reading that book, the capturing the light, the it's the story of Daguerre and Talbot from the yeah. beginnings of photography. And I, I'm not a, I don't read all the time, but like some lately I've been lying in bed at night before I go to bed and I'll read a chapter. So I'm making my way through it slowly. And it's, fascinating like the beginnings of photography and all that kind of stuff and and then i woke up the other day and i was like you know what i have 
a couple of daguerreotypes that uh, that Andrea uh, gave me years ago for a Christmas gift or a birthday gift. And I was like, you know, I've never looked at them with a loop. So I, I pulled them out and I used a loop and I noticed that they had painted on gold necklace and gold fingering, like went over those things with gold paint or yeah, maybe even gold that. fleck. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. So I started doing some research and I was like, you know what? There's something weird about these that doesn't quite make sense. So I do some research and apparently they're not daguerreotypes what I have. They're called ambrotypes. They're, they're not done on a silvered piece of metal. They're done on glass. Right. And with the back painted black. So the back of the glass is painted black. The, the, the front of the glass has been sensitized, you know, and, 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 and done. And, and I pulled them out of their cases and, and shot them. And, you know, it's very hard to get a good picture of them. They're very dusty just because the dust is sort of stuck on. And if right. I pull the dust off, it's going to come off with the image. So I couldn't do anything about the dust. But it's just fascinating. Look at these things. So last night I'm lying in bed and I said, you know, I'm going to figure out how to. <laughs> like, I'm, maybe I'll start making daguerreotypes. So I start watching videos by this guy who's teaching cl- workshops on how to make daguerreotypes. And the sheer amount of equipment he has... Yeah. Beyond, I mean, beyond the camera, he's got like, uh, like a, a, a box, a fuming box with a hood with, with exhaust fans to the outside. And he's got big propane torches he uses to melt the guild, the, the stuff on top and all this. I'm like, okay, I don't have a workshop to be working in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I live in a New York city apartment. Um, unbelievable. The amount of work it took him to make one image. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, um, you look in this in this video. Uh, this guy's developing, you know, processing the the these these twenty by twenty four plates right there on the spot when he's yeah. shooting this couple. Yep. Yeah. You know, and tin types in the grand scheme of things are fairly simple old process. That's like that's what they started doing because it was so much easier than daguerreotypes. Right. So it's right. that's a whole other ball of wax. Fascinating. Uh, we're gonna put the, the we're gonna put the links in the show notes. Uh, it, just the, the end of this lens is, what would you say? Six inches in diameter? Yeah. But that's, that's the case for all those big lenses. Yeah. It's uh, some of the lenses that the guy who I did the eight by tens with, he's got some of those crazy old lenses that are like from the turn of the century that are built for cameras like that, but also work on smaller cameras, of course, you know, Th- this uh, is just, this is like, it, th- this is kind of a smaller version of, of, uh, of Ian Rudder's, uh, Time machine, the big yeah, blue true. van that he yep, drives yep. around in. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Is that sort of like the mystery machine? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love that. Any, any, here are your two photographs. Yep. Here yeah. are your two photographs that don't exist and your anywhere bill for else. $6,000. Yeah. Don't yeah, break that, it. <laughs> yeah. Don't exist anywhere in the world. I love no, that. There's something cool about that. Um, so speaking of things that don't exist anywhere in the world, can I tell a quick little story before we get to the end here? Uh, Yes. <laughs> no, is it good. interesting to anyone else but you? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So, uh, I, I, hold on one sec, listeners. Yeah. I asked. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> I was shooting. I was shooting uh, some photos of a musician friend of mine for his new CD. All right. So he came over. You know, How is Yanni? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and I took a bunch of pictures and on my little SD card in my camera. And I popped it out and I put it in the computer and I hit import and I went to lunch with him and my friend Dan. And when I got back, there were all the, 
Don, Dan Gottesman, yeah. Um, Hi, Dan. And uh, the, all of the pictures were sitting in Lightroom. I just saw a bunch of pictures sitting in Lightroom. I was like, okay, that's done. I pulled the card out, threw it in the camera, hit format, and started shooting my friend Lindsay, who came over after lunch. Only when I was done with Lindsay, it imported her pictures, had called through, gotten the first pass of edits done. And I was like, oh, I should go look at those pictures of Paul. And I go look for pictures of Paul, and I realized that half of the images didn't import. And I had formatted the card. Uh, well, not really, though. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's, the, the camera formats are like, it doesn't replace the right, data. It's just getting it's just, rid of the, the file table. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. But I was like, oh, man, how the hell? I hope they're still on there somehow, right? And then when you look up file recovery software, what you end up getting is all kinds of software companies that want you to spend like $80, $90 or like, oh, there's a free version, but the free version only lets you see what's on the card and they're all scammy looking things, a lot of them for Windows, you know, that kind of thing. So I did some research and I found this app called PhotoRec for like photo recovery. Uh, It's cgssecurity.org. It's completely free. He has it for like six different platforms. It's sort of a... It's very much a uh, a text-driven thing. Basically, it opens a it opens a terminal window and runs inside of that. Now, I, I want to remind you that you said this would be interesting to people other than you. I'm getting there. All right. This thing, terminal window you just lost seventy percent of the okay, listeners. But here's the thing: not terminal window in the sense that it, it's just text-based, right? It's you know, it's like which option do you want? One, two, or three? You know. Okay. Um, it went in. And not only did it pull off all the pictures of Paul that hadn't been overwritten, like, so I took 250 pictures of Paul and I took a hundred pictures of Lindsay. So the first hundred pictures of Paul were overwritten because yeah, you don't get those back. Right. But I didn't need those. What I needed were the last hundred and whatever. So those are all on there. Not only did it get those off, it got stuff off of my card from the middle of July. Mm-hmm. So a month ago that was deep down in the innards of, of the card, uh, and I just wanted to say, amazing. And and so if you do the same thing I did, which was a stupid thing, uh, I made a stupid mistake not thinking, um, and you need to recover something on a drive that you deleted or whatever it is and you feel like is gone, uh, there's a there's test disk and photo rec, and they're free, and uh, it worked fantastically. So that's all hmm. I wanted to say. All right, cool. So good thing to keep in mind. Hey, uh, do you have an assignment for these guys this week? Uh, the, you know, the lazy days one is kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, Ooh, did I not think of one? You didn't put it in the show notes. Uh, we're going to come up with one on the spot Uh, on the fly. Cause it is the end of the summer and you've done lazy days. Um, Hmm. Uh, I had one. What was I going to do? How about, how about, how about, how about one to do with cars? Cars? Yeah, like, you know, driving in cars, the back seat of cars, you know, back bumpers, people going on vacation. I don't know, it's just a thought. Motoring? Yeah, motoring. I like that. What what's your price for flight? Motoring. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Can't go wrong with Night Ranger. Uh, like All the right, Night motoring. Ranger. It's All fun, right. right? Yeah. Motoring. Um yeah. Photographer of the week is 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 your suggestion? Yeah, uh, th- this 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 girl, um, her name is uh, Elizaveta Poradina. 
Yeah. Uh, fashion photographer. So this was this was specifically for Bill because I know he loves fashion. No, th- these are great photos. Yeah. Uh, th- this girl does fashion in a way that is is so I hate to use fresh, but but it, it it's just really interesting whether she's putting other lenses in front of her lens to sort of create some diffraction and diffusion or just, uh, you know, the color choices, the styling choices, her, her stuff is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much of the, how much is in post and how much is in camera. I don't know, but I am, I am fascinated by it. Especially Uh, some of these with like, uh, like bouquet lighting. It almost looks like you're looking through some sort of like, group of lights or something like that. You know what I mean? Or, or there's a lot of like lens flares coming in. Right. Uh, th- like, uh, here, wait, let me, let me, I was looking towards the bottom of her homepage in the middle. There's one called most precious blood. It's like this woman with this thing around her neck. Uh, yeah, let me see the one you're sending me here. You know, like that looks to me in camera, that looks like you've got some sort of diffraction or, or refractive lens in front of the lens that's kind of ghosting the image off. Yeah, it could be. And splitting the color. I don't know. Maybe it is post. But and it, and the thing that I that one of the things that I do love about her work is not all of it uses either optical or or post processing kind of trickery. There 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 are some straightforward shots that are that are absolutely beautiful, and then there are these sort of heavy post heavy or or effect heavy shots. Um, just a very different body of work. Yeah, she has. Uh, yeah, she's in Germany, huh? Yes. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't find much information about her. Um, it's she seems like one of those people who like I don't want things known about me. I'm better yeah. if I'm a mystery. So she's Russian, uh, but lives in Germany. Uh, has some seriously beautiful people in her in her stable of people she takes pictures of. This kind yeah. of stuff is much easier to do when you have really pretty people. <laughs> um, I think really interesting. Or interesting looking people. Yes. Yeah. Whether that's yeah. pretty or just, you know, dynamic. Yeah. I, I really, really Very like Very cool her. stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it's so much of fashion photography is, is impeccably produced, very slick. Yeah. Uh, in fact, to its detriment, I think. Yeah, I, I, you could argue that this stuff is just as slick. It's just allow the, the people are letting them take more chances with it. Maybe but a yeah. lot of these could also yeah. be, you know, a lot of these are either for her for magazines that are magazines that are a little bit more uh, out there. I mean, you know? this this could be the shot that I just said. This yeah. could just as easily be like Lee Miller or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, very very see. cool. How'd you find her? Um, where did I find her? Um, I think it was just looking through Behance. Ah, okay. Uh, I think that's where it came from. I can't remember some now. Some good stuff in Behance. Uh, there's some really terrific stuff on Behance. Doesn't Adobe yeah. own them now? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yep, it, yeah, Adobe's up in the right-hand corner. Very yeah. cool. So yeah, it does a lot of stuff for like the, the, the Eastern magazines like Vogue Ukraine and, and, you know, German magazines or, or it's just very interesting to me. Um, her black and white work is, is really terrific. Um, 
some of it looks very uh, almost like Fritz Lang, nineteen twenty three kind of metropolis looking. Yep, yep, definitely. I totally uh, see that. Just really interesting. Good so, stuff. Uh, Elisabetta Poradina, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. That's a hell of a name, too. Elisabetta. Uh, very cool. You got yeah. anything else? Or are we uh, we hitting the wall? I think I think we're good. We, after last week's show, I'm, I'm I need to take a nap anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll get back to some more next week. Yeah. Uh, so motoring uh, is the assignment. Motoring. Like I said, yeah. Sorry. Really good stuff uh, up on the group. And uh, let's see, were there were there were there standouts? Let me see. Let me see. Let me just look here real quick because I know there was some really amazing. This is like a teacher calling on people in class. That's right. That's right. Um, Bueller. Hmm. Bueller. Let's see. Uh, I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm looking. Dang, now I have that stupid song in my head. The, that Sister Christian song. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Anton putting up some. Oh, that's a great shot. It's not <laughs> part of the assignment, but it's a nice shot. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Uh, I got it. I got it. I, I got a package from Japan. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to say thank you again to to Christopher Matheson uh, for the first ever print of his work, which I am a huge fan of his. That work. is a his that is a fantastic uh, print. I'm 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 a little jealous. I have to. Admit. Yeah, it's a, it's really great. It looks so obvious. great in person. Yeah. So I'm gonna go get a frame. Uh, Christopher is working on a print section for his website, which I'm told will, will be up, uh, soon. Okay. So this is uh, all just a big advertising campaign. What is him sending you the print? Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe, but well done. Good well idea played. there. Yeah. yeah. Well played, uh, sir. Jeff Necht, uh, Glacier National Park, some photos from Glacier, which I hear is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, I love the one of the dog kind of, it looks like a postcard. The dog, look, what is that? Like a Springer Spaniel kind of jumping in the water with the beautiful tree line in the background. Uh, idyllic stuff like that. Uh, David Gardner, uh, great shot of the kids skipping stones. And what is that? The Brooklyn Bridge? Is that what that is in the background with the carousel? Uh, yes, there is a carousel okay. of Brooklyn Bridge. All right. So that's what that is. That um... Hugh, I love the, the commuted sentences shot of the guy looking at his phone. With yeah, the I got to bump protector. into that guy next time I'm down in town. Uh, yeah, I'd like to talk to him. I'd like to, to meet up. Was, he's at the Smithsonian. Are you at the Smithsonian, Hugh? Let's, let's meet up. I'm going to try and get there for, oh, that's the other thing. I'm trying to get out to New York for Photo Plus. Yes, we're just trying to figure uh, out the details of that. So Bill's trying to get, uh, he's, he's got a, 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 a connection to, uh, to get the, 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 the inside goods. scoop there. Uh, love this shot. Emmett, uh, the, the canoe shot. You see that with the three canoes? Yeah. That's cool. I like canoeing. Uh, I'm not a I, kayaker, I, but I do like canoeing. See, I kayak, not canoe. Yeah. And, um, and this is why we differ. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So yeah, uh, uh, if you're in New York, uh, end of October, beginning of November, you, you, actually you need to figure out whether you're going to be there. Yeah. I'm working um, on that. And then, uh, you know, uh, trying to, to connect with some folks. Uh, yep. I've already talked to Freddie, who said he's busy, so that's fine. Screw you, Freddie. Freddy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He didn't. Uh, what else? I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Let's see. Uh, podcast at ontakingpictures.com if you want to send us some feedback. I'm at Bill Wadman on Twitter. You're at Jeffrey Sidoris on Twitter. 
And uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail message, it's 347-687-9411. And uh, we will be back with you next week. Yep. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a, have a good week. Say what you want to say